Hello, everybody, and thank you for tuning in to the Liberty Report. With us today is Daniel McAdams, our co-host. Daniel, welcome to the program. Good morning, Dr. Paul. How are you this morning? Very, very well, thank good. you. And we're going to be searching again for the good news. Well, it's a little tougher. How do you think we're going to do today? <laughs> Will we find something? We always find something good. We have one positive thing. Except we have to sort of blind ourselves to some of the horrors yeah. that uh, some people have to put up. To me, the, the most important thing is getting people to sort of, you know, be more perspective on... Uh, Finding the people who are going to tell them the truth. Yeah. You know, it's not so much one is, one is good news or one is bad news. I remember during the campaign, I had a compliment from a young student. And he says, I really like what you're doing because you're so optimistic. Uh -huh. I said, you know, I just talked for an hour on all the problems you guys are inheriting. <laughs> he said, yeah, but uh, we can tell you're telling the truth. So sometimes the, the truth, you know, prevails and, and uh, it is every bit as important, if not the whole thing, about trying to get the facts of what's going on. Well, right oh, now, we're searching for the facts uh, dealing with uh, Bucha, yeah. a little old town in, uh, in Ukraine, and uh, it looks like there was a massacre. Yeah. And if, if you go by assessing what the popular media is saying, Boy, I'll tell you what, those Russians really did it. Awful. You know, yeah. we know the Russians aren't perfect and they have a bad history. But the whole thing is, is our side has uh, used propaganda ruthlessly and very successfully. Yeah. So all of a sudden, so, you know, I look at all the news and you, know, you, you can expect uh, the far left, the anti-Trump people, the people who used to be against war uh, during the, you, you know, in, in the 60s and uh, against the war in Vietnam and the progressives, uh, we don't know where they are right now. But anyway, you can't depend on those stations. And then even the stations that we consider, you know, more conservative and more open to the ideas of uh, of uh, non-aggression and, uh, you know, an intervention in foreign policy. Uh, there's a little bit of noise, but actually they're split pretty well and you yeah. hear the same old thing. So I would say just in the, what is being available to about 95% of the people because they don't go and uh, not 95% they don't watch our program so they, yeah. don't, they don't get exposed they <laughs> and they uh, uh, I would say 95% of the people have been exposed and have absolutely been convinced of the reason why we have to be 100% behind uh, anything and everything NATO does yeah. and uh, of course this is what happened and views were uh, shifted even even the beginning of this people don't know too much about 2014 uh, but uh, the, the propaganda is so powerful so right now if you didn't have anything else to go on yeah. and I had to jump to a conclusion I would be I'm very suspicious yeah. of what we're hearing just who has been doing what all I know is I don't like war and I don't like the killing and, and I don't like policies that I think lead up to it and I Few more a greater responsibility for the country in which I live uh, to speak out, especially uh, having been in politics. I mean, if uh, people don't speak out that have a perception of this, there's not much else we can do. We can complain about it, but but right now, I tell you what, to shift the attitude. Look look how powerful that uh, that establishment was in the, 
beating the war drums for the war against COVID. Yeah. I, I mean, that, that was astounding what they accomplished. But anyway, it's out there now, and we've heard lots of things going out, going on, um, but uh, the bottom line is not in, and we're very much aware that uh, throughout history and in recent history, there's been a lot of false flags, probably all the way back in our country, Spanish-American War, yeah, yeah, <laughs> a few yeah. places like that. Yeah, the, the thing to emphasize at first is we do not know what happened in this small town. Uh, I've seen some pictures that we won't show, uh, but it is very grisly. It's very uh, horrible and disgusting. It looks like at least dozens, if not more, civilians dead, uh, many with their hands tied behind their backs. Uh, we don't know who did it, uh, but I think we do know because we've been in this business long enough, going back before the show and back to, you know, back to the days of Colin Powell uh, and at the UN, et cetera, that if... If everyone agrees, quote unquote, in the U.S., all the media, all the neocons, all the neoliberals, if all they, they all agree on that one thing means one thing, then our antenna go up. It doesn't mean we instinctively disagree, but our antenna does go up, and this is exactly what's happening. And we have uh, our friend Joe Loria at Consortium News to thank for a very concise look at the timeline of what happened. And this is what's interesting. We, we can put that first one up, because here's his article if anyone wants to go read it, consortiumnews.com. He wrote a piece, Questions Abound, about Bucha Massacre. And here's a couple of things, okay, just in a nutshell. So the news broke on Sunday that hundreds of innocent people were slaughtered in Bucha, uh, not far from Kiev. Uh, immediately, of course, it was blamed on Russia. Russia did it. The U.S. pundits, the think tank warriors, they called for direct conflict. This is time to really go to war with Russia over these uh, few dozen people or however many there were. Now, Russia did an interesting thing. They immediately called for a special session of the UN Security Council. They said, we immediately need to talk about this immediately. The UK chairs the council right now, and they said no. They said no twice, which is suspicious. Why don't they want to immediately take up the issue, especially when you have the evidence sitting there in the street that really needs an impartial investigation immediately? So here's the timeline, and Joe does a great job talking about it. Last Wednesday, all Russian forces were out of Bucha. We know this because, uh, and put up that next one, the smiling mayor of the city, he announced on his Facebook page, this is on Thursday, and this is him speaking, March 31st, the day of liberation of Bucha. This was announced by Bucha Mayor Anatoly Federunk. This day will go down in the glorious history of Bucha and the entire Bucha community as a day of liberation by the armed forces from the Russian occupier. So on Thursday, the mayor is down there in the town square talking about how it's liberated. He doesn't say a word about the massacre. Hundreds of people, and we've seen the video, and we won't show it here, hundreds of people, or at least dozens, littering the main streets of the town, dead, left and right. And here's the mayor on TV smiling, doesn't say a word about it. It's possible he didn't know, but it's very unusual that the mayor wouldn't say we've liberated, but my gosh, at what cost? He didn't do that. <clears throat> so... The, uh, the town was fully in, uh, in Ukrainian control for four days, for four days, Wednesday through Sunday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, before there was any word of a massacre. It only broke <coughs> on Sunday. And this is all from Joe's piece. The New York Times reported from Bucha on Saturday. As late as Saturday, they did not report a massacre. Uh, they reported six civilians found dead, uh, and they found... Uh, some sold, a lot of dead soldiers, but they didn't report a massacre in the New York Times. Then all of a sudden, Sunday, the news broke that there was this massacre. 
Um, interestingly enough, and Joe uh, brings up uh, a, a post by a EU and U.S. funded Gorshenin Institute who reported that special forces have begun a clearing operation in the city of Bucha in the Kiev region, which has been liberated by the armed forces of Ukraine. And this is interesting. The city is being cleared from saboteurs and accomplices of Russian forces. Um, and there's some speculation that the Azov Battalion, which is notorious, uh, went in there and cleared it out of Russian saboteurs. Uh, and these may be explaining the white armbands that people wore uh, to signify that they were amenable to Russia coming in. Again, this is all from Joe's piece. We don't know the fact. Could the Russians have done it? Absolutely. War is disgusting. War is ugly. It's despicable. But we have to at least raise some questions. The Russian troops who left Bucha were called in a very, very rapid way to go join the fight in Donbass. So they get the call, leave Bucha, the real battle's in Donbass, and they get in their cars. But before leaving, they tie up a few hundred people at random and kill them, and take all the time to do that and all the effort to do that, and all, frankly, sadly, the wasted bullets uh, to do that before departing. Again, all possible war makes people insane because war is insane. But at the very least, I think, Dr. Paul, just like we've done in Syria, where a couple of these gas attacks turned out to be false flags, we should be suspicious, take a deep breath, and try to figure out what's going on. You know, the first question, a person who would disagree with you would say, well, where, where are the Ukrainians? They're not 100%, you know, endorsing this policy that uh, we're talking about. And they would, uh, they would say none of them are coming forth. And it's a good question. But that, that's a question we could ask ourselves when we go to war and people in the military sometimes know, and sometimes if people do know a bit and they start to bring it out, especially under today's circumstances where our free speech movement has been killed, yeah. that if you speak out, uh, you know, it's very, very costly and you can be canceled uh, and literally. So you, it's not likely when it's almost universal that when you're in a country like that. And I would say that uh, even in this country, to a large degree, not that bad because we still do have people disagreeing, you yeah. know, with this. So that that uh, to, to me is a powerful tool that they have, but it still means that we have to find them sometimes it takes a little bit of a little bit of time. It was the same way with how they had controlled the scenario with uh, COVID. You couldn't say a word, but every once in a while there'd be a crowd of one person would speak, and all of a sudden there were more people that agreed yeah. than you realized. And uh, but right now we're not getting the information from somebody uh, on the Ukrainian side witnessing, you know, a suggestion. That uh, if if they could just get to the point where, you know, uh, maybe a little bit of blame or a lot of blame for both sides, and that's why most wars are started because there are warmongers on both sides, and these things happen. They may have different motivations, but the name of the game right now in this age of uh, of evil communications, it's manipulating and controlling the news, and this yeah. is a perfect example of it. And it leads to frustration, but it leads us to think that. Uh, the truth is out there. 
We admit we don't have the full facts, but we are going to keep looking. And just think of what happened the other day when Fauci, Fauci re revealed himself <laughs> or somebody revealed him yeah. and found out that he thought uh, the best thing in the world to control uh, viruses would be natural immunity. He was a great spokesman for it. So th the truth does come out. But this one, this one is locked in place for this weekend anyway. What happens next week is a different story. Yeah. Well, it's obviously huge propaganda value for the Ukrainian side. <clears throat> the EU immediately announced <clears throat> it was suspending the purchase of coal and I think a few other things from Russia. It's a huge propaganda value for the, uh, for the Ukrainians. And that's probably why President Zelensky rushed out there for some photo ops uh, as soon as it came known that it happened. There's zero upside for the Russians. There's zero reason for them to do it. There's no military reason. The only reason would be if they literally had gone insane and decided to kill a bunch of people, which does happen. Crazy things happen in war. You know, the U.S. in Fallujah did a lot of that as well. Um, so it does happen. But when you talk about the, the, the huge upside for Ukraine and the huge downside for Russia, again, we don't know what happened. But we're suspicious when the media, as one, declares that one thing is truth. And ironically, we talked about it before the show, it's, seven, it's uh, five years to the day that we talked about the Khan Sheikhoun so-called gas attack, which turned out to be not Assad, but turned out to be our wonderful moderate rebels who did it as a false You flag. know, in, in many ways, there's so much masochism going on, maybe masochism with a motive. Yeah. And uh, so... You see, this, all this is going on, and one of the biggest economic crises in Europe is uh, they've done what they said they wouldn't do, and the United States would always provide, and we want to sell you the gas, and we're not going to let the Russians do it. And what they do, they, you, you know, they resort to coal. They have coal, yeah. and coal is not quite as dirty as they claim. Oh. And all of a sudden, they they, they say, "Oh, okay, uh, we're going to boycott it." Yeah, <laughs> you know, it further punish the people. Yeah. put put the punishment on. But uh, you you wonder, I wonder about it. Masochism can be considered just plain disease, but it also can be collective political masochism, not quite realizing that this self-inflicted pain it doesn't work out all as all as well as they think it will. And it'll be interesting to see how the European civilians, because you make a good point, they're bearing the pain right now of this, how they'll react. We saw two basically earthquake elections this past weekend in Hungary and in Serbia, uh, <laughs> which went against what the Brussels wants. We have a big election coming up in France this weekend uh, where Macron and Le Pen are getting much closer <coughs> uh, in, in numbers. Macron's numbers are going down and Le Pen's are coming up. It'll be interesting to see if the people of Europe uh, start continue to vote against the elites uh, they're doing this but we have we have some better news uh, for our middle for our middle segment and that's a little bit of a follow-up from Elon Musk uh, he bought a bunch of Twitter he's been talking for at least days if not weeks about Twitter abandoning its free speech uh, commitment so he bought a big chunk of it and then today he was appointed to the board of directors of Twitter he vows to make significant improvements and let's put up that next clip because look what happened to Twitter stock, Dr. Paul, right when he was announced on April 4th that Musk was taking over. Obviously, and this is your area of expertise, Dr. Paul, looks to me at least though like the market has spoken. Yeah, I think so. And, and I think what's going on now is, uh, you know, we just, we just uh, painted a dire picture, you know, for what's going on uh, in Ukraine. 
trying to figure out what's going on. Then all of a sudden, uh, the control of the media, uh, there's a break in, in the barrage against uh, free speech. Yeah. And it's, it's coming with, with Elon Musk. I haven't met him. No. But I sure hope that what I hear and what I like, that'll continue that way because he has said some good things. But there's been a lot of people that have said good things in the past yeah. and, and they don't follow through. But this is, um, this is something that uh, I think is good because uh, Dorsey, who started Twitter, yeah. he actually has said some things that uh, indicate that, uh, uh, you, you, know, you know, that his position isn't as ruthless as we see it yeah. from, and that he was just super gun ho for, uh, for, for wokeism. So uh, he was sort of apologetic for not having uh, done things uh, positively. Maybe, maybe he has been enlightened, but, but maybe the stock that was going down yeah, yeah. Was, uh, w w was part of his uh, wakening up, uh, in a true sense of the word, at the, uh, at the, same, at the same time. The, the, uh, uh, the thing that is going on with Musk, maybe, maybe the, he'll be a lightning rod for good, you yeah. know. And say, holy man! Maybe, who knows? Maybe, uh, maybe face, Facebook might be the biggest champion of liberty before we know it. <laughs> yeah, and, you know, and remember that Jack Dorsey was known for the statement, "We are the free speech corner of the free speech movement." Uh, you know, very, very actively in the early days, talking about it being a free speech platform. And obviously, it's changed significantly since then. A lot of wokeists took over. They did a lot of purges not only of the right, as conservatives would, would argue, but of people on the left as well. Anyone basically challenging the deep state narrative yeah. uh, in doing it effectively was canceled. Myself, I was canceled, as everyone knows, in 2019. Wouldn't mind coming back. Wouldn't mind having Elon Musk on the show, right? We could ask <laughs> him in person. But I have a couple of tweets just to kind of reflect on what's happened in this past day because it's been very exciting. And here's the current CEO, Parag Agrawal. Uh, here's what he said today. He tweeted, I'm excited to share that we're appointing Elon Musk to our board. Through conversations with Elon in recent weeks, it became clear to us that he would bring value to our board. He's both a passionate believer and intense critic of the service, which is exactly what we need on Twitter and in the boardroom to make us stronger in the long term. Welcome, Elon. You've got to wonder if, what he really thinks, but that's okay. Let's go to the next one. And so Elon responded, um, that next clip if you can. He responded, looking forward to working with Parag and Twitter board to make significant improvements in Twitter in the coming months. And Jack Dorsey himself uh, chimes in. Let's go to the next one. Dorsey's obviously still involved. I'm really happy Elon is joining the Twitter board. He cares deeply about our world and Twitter's role in it. Parag and Elon both lead with their hearts and they will be an incredible team. Interesting. That, that has to be good. Yeah. Onward. Yeah, onward. <laughs> yeah, real, really good. I wanted to ask you, if you don't mind, I know we want to go on to the last one, but I wanted to just do a couple things about Parag because I think he may be some of the source of the problems. And here's three tweets from him, and, and, or, or three quotes from him. Because you see, Elon is definitely saying, I'm for free speech and Twitter is messing up because they're restricting it. Parag is pretending that he's thrilled that Elon's coming in. I suspect it might be different. And here's some insight into Parag's thinking. I hope I'm pronouncing his name right. He said, our role is not to be bound by the First Amendment, but our role is to serve a healthy public conversation. And our moves are reflective of the things that we, and go to the next one, this is back in 2020, that we believe lead to a healthier 
public conversation. The kinds of things that we do to work about this is to focus less on thinking about free speech, but thinking about how the times, next one, less about free speech, but thinking about how the times have changed. One of the changes today that we see is speech is easy on the internet. Most people can speak, but our role, which is particularly emphasized, is who can be heard. That is not encouraging. That was two, almost two years ago, and we saw where Twitter went after he reflected this idea that, hey, we're not about free speech, or about who gets to speak and who doesn't get to speak. Maybe this is the pendulum switching the other way. Well, <coughs> To me, that suggests that things are relative and they're arbitrary. Yes, we will have a discussion on our terms. You know, they, they, they don't address the real principle of freedom of speech, but they indicate they're on that side, actually to neutralize the criticism. And it's sort of like the argument about, uh, uh, you know, the authoritarians are always for peace. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Every, everybody's for peace. But they say, oh, yeah, but what are the circumstances? Well, uh, you, you, you know, under the circumstances, we have our peace and you have yours. But we, we shouldn't have to worry about it, Daniel. We've solved that problem after World War II. We got this thing called the United Nations. Yeah. And they will be the arb uh, great arbitrators. And they'll come in and settle these disputes. But you already mentioned uh, today that the UN is not the solution. <laughs> they don't want to talk about it. So... Well, the next one we have, we can put that up. This is from the Telegraph, the UK Telegraph. Wimbledon's coming, Dr. Paul. I used to be a huge tennis, uh, I used to watch tennis constantly. I don't anymore. I've, taken a I've returned to playing it a little bit. I love the sport. This is from the Telegraph of yesterday. Wimbledon is ready to ban Daniel Medvedev over fears that a Russian win could boost Vladimir Putin's regime. This is the world's number two tennis player. He did not invade Ukraine. He hits a ball around for a living, and he's very good at it. But Wimbledon, which is a private organization, they're they are considering banning him from playing because if he happens to win, it's a boost for Putin. Yeah, propaganda to deal with. But uh, hopefully the, uh, there's some public pressure that might change this. But, you know, what, what bothers me the most is uh, the, the whole concept of sports that I talk about a lot, a lot because I think uh, sports, I look at it as very positive yeah. because I've seen it happen with kids. I've seen it with races and all kinds of things. In a natural way, things come together, even politically speaking, because uh, we did a little sports in the Congress. And when you did sports uh, with, the, uh, with the opposition, it, it did something. Yeah. And there was a difference. And I think about uh, as bad as the situation was under, under Nixon, uh, there was a way, there was a contest going on, you know, uh, uh, and it was a sporting attitude. So I, I like that. I thought it was ridiculous what they did when uh, the Russians, uh, uh, Soviets, uh, yeah. uh, went into Afghanistan and Carter said, well, we're not going to go to the Olympics, you yeah. know. And, but no, don't worry. They've worked hard. We'll just mint them a gold coin and give them a gold coin and everything will be okay. <laughs> That's not using sports in, in the right way. But uh, sometimes it's, it's totally ignored, but sometimes it's used in a perverse way, yeah. you, you know, and this, that's what they're doing here. They're using sports. They do this. And you could also, uh, uh, you, you know, say that they're using sex perversely when you have transgenderism yeah. going yeah. on and driving people nuts on, oh, what am I going to do yeah, you yeah. Know about this? This is 
they keep winning all the races. Oh, shock, shock. Yeah. <laughs> Transgender are pretty, pretty fast runners yeah. when you compare them to women. Yeah. <laughs> but no, we don't. But the problem is we can't define a woman yet. Yeah. And that's why there's no way to solve that problem mm. because can you define a man? Can you define No, we can't do that. Everybody's free right. That's about as anarchist you can get. <laughs> yeah, no, good so, but that, that's a shame that they're using it in that way. And uh, I hope there is some building some resistance to that. But uh, so it's still out there. We see movement this way, movement that way. And uh, we just want to push, uh, push the movement in the right direction where there's more freedom of expression, uh, more concentration on what the First Amendment really means. Uh, I uh, am convinced it may be the most important amendment because if we can't talk about this and express ourselves without penalty, uh, you know, it's hard to change, persuade, persuade people. You all of a sudden have to say, well, if I can't even talk, I'm going to have to use force. Yeah. And, and that, that would be bad. So uh, I think that that, uh, that makes a big difference. Uh, and we have been challenged. But that happens all the time in all societies. It's been happening in our country probably since the beginning of yeah. our country. Yeah. You know, that uh, the one side would try to block the other side, certainly during the Civil War, uh, continuously. But there's a, in our country, the way I see it, there's been a steady erosion. But now it's silly season. Now, now we don't even have to have the government blocking free speech. We have this coalition of the corporate world uh, in business with the government yeah. and the corporations become the policemen. So uh, there needs to be an exposure of what's really going on there because we have to maintain the, the right of free expression. But even that cannot be squelched completely. There's always a way. There was always some freedom, uh, you know, in an authoritarian society. I always borrowed at Solzhenitsyn. He, he, was, he, he was lived, uh, he was born and grew up in a Soviet yeah. system, and he suffered the consequences of it. But you know what? He ended up understanding a lot about freedom. He understood a lot about uh, spiritual beliefs in that authoritarian society. So it does exist. I don't think you can kill it all. Yeah. Uh, but what we want to do is we want to uh, fertilize those ideas and let those ideas grow. And one thing is control of speech is the biggest challenge that we are facing today. The thing that really is depressing about this whole idea of banning a Russian tennis player because of his nationality and ethnic background is that you think that we have moved past this. You know, remember what happened to German Americans in World War I and how they were treated. We all know what happened to Japanese Americans in World War II when they were taken away from their homes and put in internment camps. This idea of collective punishment of a race, and in fact, you could go to Hitler himself, right, who believed in collective punishment even if it was absolutely unjustified, of a race or people of a certain background because of the characteristics of their background. I mean, I'm, I'm with you. I like to think that society is progressing. <laughs> but when you see something like this, and it, it's not just Medvedev. I've seen dozens of stories of opera singers, um, orchestra conductors, uh, other sports uh, celebrities, uh, other people who are being canceled just because of their ethnic or national background. They didn't invade Ukraine. Even if you think that Putin is the absolute worst thing since Hitler, there's no way that Medvedev did anything except hit tennis balls. He shouldn't be punished because of his race. You'd think this would be a no-brainer, but sadly we're going back to the knuckle-dragging 
uh, Neanderthal days of World War II. And you mentioned the discrimination for race and culture and that sort of thing. But what about being discriminated against because uh, you're, you want to debate and talk about uh, science yeah. and, and traditional science, you know, and of course I'm referring to natural immunity. And, and that is used and you're discriminated against that. Uh, you know, it's really, it really spreads political ideas and now scientific ideas, but, but still truth is out there. And I think there is still one of people I love to see when there's an explosion of interest and shifting of attitudes. And it usually needs a key group of people or one time, one person sometimes just say we've had enough, yeah. you know, and, and the people, you know, join in because they have been harboring those same thoughts and they were just waiting for somebody to say it. So that's that's the reason I still want to argue my case for optimism because <laughs> it's no fun to one the other. I know. Well, unfortunately, your final little comment is not negative, is not positive, and this is about New York. I'm oh, yeah. Here I am talking about how <laughs> neat it's going. Yeah. I think everybody knows exactly where I stand, and that's why I am motivated because it's not so, not so perfect. But here, this is another example of insanity. It's a masochistic uh, for our society, self-punishment, and ruining a whole generation. And it's, it's a new mayor. And every once in a while I hear a sentence or two coming from the new mayor, and he thinks maybe we should have policemen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe, maybe uh, the hoodlums that go and burn down the city and break windows and steal, they shouldn't be released and never punished. Uh, so, and he's getting, uh, you know, some positive, uh, uh, you know, reports on that. But this one is New York City. This, if he's behind this, he's not doing so well yeah. on that. New York City will mandate masks for children under five years old. Where did they get control? I thought they only controlled them when they went to government schools. Yeah. <laughs> but isn't that amazing that they're doing it? And, and, you know, the reports, and I know you've seen them, the reports that are coming out about the medical conditions that are long-term of kids that they're having, socializing, they're having trouble, uh, getting along. Uh, there's more types of uh, infections and problems with uh, throat and nose, and uh, the communications are bad. So, uh, and on top of that, these are the safest group of people that yeah. are there. They're the most naturally protected of any group. And yet they're, then they come up and you talk about thinking about liberty as not a collective things. People should never have their liberty removed because they belong to a group, but they should never get a benefit because they belong yeah. to a group. But here, here it is. Uh, th this is a group. And the individual, only liberty can protect the individual because the individual and the responsible individual, the parents maybe, make these decisions. But when you have the mayor and one other person come in, and we're going to write this law, and if you have a kid under five, he will wear a mask or he better stay in the house. Terrible. Uh, so that's a contradiction to all those positive things I just said a few minutes ago. Yeah. Well, if you're sane and you live in New York, A, get out of New York and be homeschool your kids and Google Ron Paul curriculum because you'll find a great way, a great way to educate your kids and not let the state grab them and say all kinds of terrible things. I'm just going to finish up by again bringing up that mark your calendars June 4th in Houston. We're having a conference. Uh, I believe we will be signing our contract with the hotel today. It's a nice hotel. It's in a great location. 
Uh, and it's also, more importantly, some great speakers. Dr. Paul will be there. We have a few others to announce. I will send an update to our subscribers at the Ron Paul Institute later today with as much information as we can give today. We may not have everything today, but we'll have some info for you. And I will put in the description of today's show uh, the link where you can click and subscribe for free uh, to updates to the Ron Paul Institute. And of course, as you know, we never sell or rent or loan your names or your information. Uh, this is just between us. So look for that email from me later. If you're not subscribed, subscribe. I'll put it in the link. Dr. Paul, back to you. Very good. And I want to close by once again thanking our viewers for tuning in. It's so important that you come and listen to us and uh, promote our programs. And uh, we expect to be for a while fighting the battle and looking for these examples that are so contradictory. You talk about today, my whole talk, I pushed and, and tried to explain why we should have some optimism. There's good things that can happen. There's always a reservoir for optimism and good things and, and ideas are that way. And then there's also the people who are totally controlled by the fanaticism of our universities and the people who end up in the corporate welfare system. Corporatism they accept for all kinds of reasons, political power as, as well as the accumulation of great wealth. So there is a contest going on, but it's not new. We, the United States didn't invent it, but we've been involved. The world is a mess, and we have some responsibilities that should be carried out in a voluntary manner, but basically in a political sense, we have enough to do right here on trying to deal with our problems. And as far as I'm concerned, it's not complicated. People just have to understand the tremendous benefits of what a free society provides. I believe it's the source of the greatest amount of wealth that I've ever conceived by having a free society and certainly one that is the safest and least likely to have wars. But it's not a perfect system. It is tough. But at least you have to have a goal. You have to always be seeking that goal. There is no way in the world that we're going to have perfect freedom uh, in anybody's lifetime as far as I'm concerned. And there's uh, no, 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 no way the enemy is going to have perfect dictatorial power. It is an ongoing process. We have to just decide what side we're on. Are we seeking truth and doing what we can to spread to the best of our ability those views? Or are we going to allow and be complacent and just allow somebody else to roll over us and say, buddy, you're canceled, too bad. No, we have to make sure that we participate in this uh, this great debate. And I'll tell you what, uh, there's reason for us to harbor some optimism because if truth didn't exist and you couldn't seek it, and some people don't believe truth exists. It justifies, it justifies them not even seeking it. They're nihilists. They say, no, you guys are nuts. Why waste all this time? You know, there, there is no such thing as truth. Well, I don't, I don't endorse that, and, but there are people out there, and that's one of the reasons why the contest is pretty tough, because they do get in position of power and control of that message in the media. I want to thank everybody for tuning in today to the Liberty Report. Please come back soon.